The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. You had a future. Why couldn't you just let this go and move on so I could do the same? So I guess there's no point in asking for your vote, is there? Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, October 17th, 2019. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And I'm Danielle Metz. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Well, since about the middle of July until now, a great deal of our discussion on Just Right has been about the Canadian election, and in particular about the People's Party of Canada. And with the election now approaching this Monday, Robert, Danielle, and I decided to get together to share our experiences over that period of time with you, and to flagrantly and openly endorse the People's Party of Canada. Right, guys? Here, here, here. Yes, indeed. And we'll tell you why we want to do that right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, our archive broadcasts, and of course where we encourage you to offer your financial support and in so doing, become part of our effort to enlighten others about the true nature of freedom and capitalism. Well, guys, we've certainly been on a roller coaster ride over the last couple of months because of the election, and I find it absolutely amazing that over the past several weeks we've attended three major PPC events and several minor ones, And in London, of course, Just Right attended the PPC's announcement of its candidates for the Southern Ontario region. We went to Gatineau, Quebec for three days, Robert, you and I, from August 16th to 18th. And we covered the Hamilton event on September 29th. All three of us were there behind each of our cameras, giving the public perhaps one of the best views of what the PPC is about. And over this period of time, it's amazing how many people, you know, related to the PPC are having something to do with this campaign we've had on the show. And just to review them quickly, Maxime Bernier, party leader of the PPC, Salim Mansour, who of course is a regular on this show and is candidate for London North Centre, Mark Friesen of Saskatoon Grasswood, Alan Deng, Vancouver South candidate, Mike McMullen, London West, Rocky Dong, Burnaby North Seymour, Frank Vaughn, North Cumberland, Peterborough South, David Haskell from Cambridge, Laura Lynn Thompson of Red Deer Lambcombe, Bill Capes from Essex, Ivan Pack, Richmond Center, Cody Payant, Carlton, Dan Burr, Windsor Tecumseh, Bria Atkins, Lambton Kent, Middlesex, Baljeet Bawa from Brampton, Mario Roberto Lamb from Gatineau. That's just the PPC people. And then in addition, we were amazed at who we ran into. Other people who came to the PPC events, which included, of course, none other than Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report, David Menzies from the Rebel Media, Derek Harrison from Rance Derek, Mark Emery, our good friend, the Prince of Pot, and of course we also ran into Bruce Party, who spoke a lot about effects of free speech laws, and all these people were attracted to the People's Party of Canada. What the heck made them all 
suddenly gravitate to that one center source. And I think that's p part of what we're going to be talking about today. I think it's not just the party leader in the party, but the platform itself. And Robert, you have a copy of the platform there with you, and we thought we would go through some of the key attractions to this party because of this platform. One thing that everybody says consistently is that, yeah, I love their platform. There's nothing in the platform that I disagree with. And such an array of people who are saying this. So clearly Maxime has targeted the issues that really affect a lot of people. Especially us, because on Just Right, we've tackled, um, I would say, all of the issues. I've got 16 platform planks in front of me here. And we've tackled them all on Just Right over the past 12 years. And this platform has come down on the exact same side that you and I have, Bob, and you, Daniel, over the last 12 years. And it's impossible for us not to endorse no, this we, platform. No, we would be hypocrites if we didn't pick sides on this one. Yeah. It's hard to be objective, but we're being objective. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just before we sat down, I asked you both. I said, okay, now, to be objective and fair, is there anything that we can find to be critical about with the PPC platform or the party itself. And other than the fact that they're not going far enough, perhaps in taxation, there was nothing. No, not a thing. We enjoy the people. We see their honesty. And their passion. Their passion, their patriotism. The platform speaks to exactly the issues that you and I have been talking about. And um, they've come down on the same side. And to speak to something we say on this show regularly, they're all moving in the right direction. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Know? And it was a pleasure and an honor to meet all of the people that you just outlined there, Bob. And these, these were great candidates, by the way. They, every one of them was a surprise to me. They're not just uh, paper candidates. They're, they've got this passion, and they tend to know what they're talking about. They're not, they might not be experienced as politicians, but uh, they Well, sure they seem to really believe in what they're saying. They're not yes. just reading talking points. They actually believe in these values that they're espousing, which is a yeah. huge difference between the other candidates. To take uh, one out of that, in, that list that really impressed me, of course, would be Frank Vaughn, who was chosen to introduce Dave Rubin, David Haskell, and Maxime Bernier at the Hamilton event. In fact, uh, we made him the MC for one of our panel discussions when we were up in Gatineau, remember? Yes, yes. So Frank is uh, amazing at talking extemporaneously about any of the issues, about conveying his passion for the party and the issues. And, and for Canada. And for Canada. And he came from a conservative background, and he tread lightly into the PPC, being very critical and making sure that this was what he wanted to do. And applause to him for being so passionate about this party and the platform in Maxime. Now, just a little backtrack for myself, I guess, because I was actually working on Salim's campaign for the Conservative Party early in the year. And then, I believe it was in April, late April, the Conservatives dumped him, thinking that because he's against Islamism and a staunch critic of terrorism and unfettered immigration and globalism, that he was an unsuitable candidate for their bland Milk party. Toast. Milk toast, bland party. Vanilla party. Vanilla <laughs> leader. And I, I was, during that whole campaign with Salim, I was always whispering in his ear saying, look, I'm supporting PPC, Salim, but I will help you out with your campaign for the conservatives. Yeah. You, you don't live in his riding. I, and I don't even live in his riding. No. But I support Salim. 
And he had some good reasons for running for the Conservatives. Uh, I'll grant him that, of course. But that was the straw that broke the camel's back, saying that he is, will be perceived as, as, uh, as an Islamophobe by the uh, Conservatives. And Hamish Marshall, in particular, he's the campaign manager for the party. So then after much deliberation, Salim finally said, OK, well, I'm joining the PPC. Because he knew Maxime personally. He knew what he was getting into. He, he also supported Maxime when Maxime was running yes. as leader for the Conservatives. Yes, yes, he was on the floor, I believe, as well, mm-hmm. voting for Maxime yep. through all 13 ballots. But the point, I think, is that his objection to running for the PPC at, at first was that no other party besides a Conservative or a Liberal Party has ever gotten into power in Canada, which is absolutely true. However, it's like with anything else, there comes a breaking point. We saw it in the United States with Trump. We saw it with uh, Brexit in in Great Britain. And we saw saw it in um, France. We see it with the Yellow Jacket movement over in in Europe and France. And we're seeing it in Italy. And we're seeing it around the globe where the people are just fed up with the established parties and the establishment. And the globalism of the established parties. And the the elitism and the globalism and and the rampant Islamism that is running roughshod over Europe and Canada now in the United States as well. So I guess there was a tipping point for Salim as well. To, to have this guy who was staunchly a conservative, and I mean capital C conservative, after 30 years supporting that party saying, no, enough is enough. It's time to, for a major shakeup in Canadian politics. And his entry into the PPC was just the, the fire that was lit under other people's bums to get them off of their bums and, and join the PPC as well. And, and, and it set this level of passion throughout the whole party that I've never seen before. Everybody got really excited. And it affected people from coast to coast. That fellow that has been a regular on this show for so many years has a following that even we weren't really that critically aware of. I've been trying to make him a household name, at least in certain circles. I've done over 30 videos with just Salim, put them up on our YouTube channel. Uh, Over 30 videos with the People's Party now, just in the last few months, separate from the ones with Salim. And it's it's just amazing the views that we're getting now. Tens of thousands of views. For, for particular videos. And Salim, there's something about the man that attracts people to him. He's very amiable, very likable. As soon as you, you meet the guy in person, he's very disarming and somebody that you want to emulate his conviction for Canadian politics and uh, Canadian values. So just that bit of that background. And I'm also now the, uh, like I say, the campaign manager for Salim. And you two have worked on his campaign as well. Well, before we get underway with going through the platform, let's take our first break. And when we come back, we can start that conversation. Hey, guys, how's it going? Dev here. Hard to believe, isn't it? We're almost there. My personal prediction, just uh, just off the bat, is that Trudeau is probably going to get a minority government. I hate to say it, but I think it's true. And last night was the first and only English debate, believe it or not. And I don't mean to poison the well here or anything, but having seen the debate, it's it's my opinion that Trudeau didn't do very well, and I would like to showcase why. We know we live in a very challenging time right now, from protectionism to fear-based politics to the transformative technological change people are facing. We need to make sure that Canadians are equipped and tooled to be able to succeed in an uncertain world, and that's why over the past four years, we've invested directly in Canadians, help people be optimistic about their future, have the tools to succeed, and the tools to see their kids succeed. We know the environment is a massive and pressing challenge, and building a stronger economy for the future means protecting the environment for the future as well. These are the things we're going to be talking about tonight. 
This is something that you'll notice about Trudeau uh, throughout this entire night. But he is just a walking talking point. Of course, I will always stand up for Canada and Canadians' interests and promote free trade and defend our interests all around the world. But Justin Trudeau only pretends to stand up for Canada. You know, he's very good at pretending things. He can't even remember how many times he put blackface on. Because the fact <laughs> of the matter is, he's always wearing a mask. He puts on a reconciliation mask and then fires the Attorney General, the first one of Indigenous background. He puts on a feminist mask and then fires two strong female MPs for not going along with his corruption. He puts on a middle-class mask and then raises taxes on middle-class Canadians. Mr. Trudeau, you are a phony and you are a fraud and you do not deserve to govern this country. <laughs> okay. Andrew Scheer, leader of the Tories, he's always been kind of a milk toast kind of dude, and I think this is him trying to break out of that shell with, you know, only half success. Scheer, I don't know if you know what this, this, these 45 seconds are for you to outline your platform, not just a shit on Trudeau. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it, but I think you might, I think you might have squandered your opportunity. So as part of our endorsement of the People's Party of Canada, let's go through each and every plank of the party. There's 16 of them, but we can run through them rather quickly, I think, in the next 15, 20 minutes, and show our listeners how, if they go back over our 626 episodes of Just Right and our, what, 75 episodes of the Daniel Met Show. Has it been that many? <laughs> and all of our videos, 100 and whatever videos we got up there on YouTube, that what Maxime and the headquarters of the PPC have put together in this platform is exactly what we've been talking about on Just Right. I'd almost think he's been listening to the no, show. <laughs> and just took our ideas and decided he's to a turn a party. <laughs> you know, that's funny because we've become somewhat of a celebrity status. When we went to Hamilton the other week, I was met by people at the door saying, oh, you're just right. I love your voice. Great radio voice. <laughs> you know, and I'm going, oh, thank you very much. But yes, I found myself <laughs> being recognized too. It's rather disarming. Yes. And was. we were approached by people begging us to get the video up because they like our videos the best. Yeah. And I remember a couple of times when we were in Gatineau, Robert, after interviewing a a candidate or two, they'd go, you guys are from Just Right? And we'd go, yeah, you guys are famous. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there you go. It's been a, it's been an interesting ride. Yeah, like, subscribe, and give us money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the platform. Number one, public finance, balancing the budget in two years and cutting taxes. And what I like about this particular plank is that Maxime is not just saying this to get votes because he's saying we're not going to balance the budget right away we're not going to lower your taxes right away not until the budget is balanced you mean it doesn't balance itself <laughs> no justin it doesn't <laughs> balance itself what did you think about that particular uh, plank bob well i thought it was a reasonable approach he's taking one step at a time he's not promising uh, some nirvana to people i think it makes him look very credible mm -hmm. you know whereas in contrast to the other leaders they don't sound very credible about anything. In fact, most of them, when they were asked how are they going to finance their ridiculous plans, every one of them appealed to the Marxist-Leninist phrase in some way or other. Make the rich pay. We're going to make people over who make over $10 million pay. I'm going, I heard that the first time in 1984 from a Marxist-Leninist candidate. What makes them any different, you know? There's one aspect of this plank I really like. It says, stop using our tax system for political ends and make it simpler and fairer. In particular, eliminate targeted tax measures that are inefficient and serve no compelling public policy purpose. I've always thought of that of the Income Tax Act when I'm going and doing my own taxes, which I still do by myself, is that 
look at all of these loopholes mm. and deductions and all of that for political purposes. The latest one is we did a DMS show, a Daniel Mitch show on it. The $300 carbon tax rebate. Yep. And I had to figure out whether or not I lived within the municipal district of London to be able to calculate wh- what my rebate was. Well, luckily, I was just outside of it. <laughs> it's all just wealth transfer, transferring yeah. wealth from one person to another in a sneaky way. And, into and buying their votes. Yeah. Very targeted. Oh, well, you have young children here. Here's the activities yes. tax credit. Yeah. Here's this. Credit. It's flagrant pandering. Pandering. It, it, it disgusts me to no end. And that's why. In this election, I had a choice, either vote PPC or don't vote. Yes. That's no, I couldn't I vote for the conservatives this time around, especially with their immigration policy no being un, uh, Being the same as Justin Trudeau? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And if you recall, if you go back to our show back in 2000 and when was it, 15, when the election was coming up, we said that we endorsed the conservative party really reluctantly and basically just because Stephen Harper wanted to have a vetted, uh, reduced number of uh, Syrian refugees and immigrants. That's the only federal election I've ever voted in in the past, and it was for that reason alone. And where did that get us? Kicked off of CHRW. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's that very that episode that got episode, us kicked yep. off. <laughs> okay. Was it worth it, Robert? <laughs> yes, yes, it very, it very much was. Um, the next one, uh, the economy. Eliminate all corporate subsidies. Now, I've talked to a number of PPC candidates, as you know, and some of them have come from the NDP because they hate corporate welfare. Mm. And Maxime is the only guy out there with the guts to say, eliminate all corporate subsidies and reduce the corporate income tax from 15 down to 10%. That is, that's fantastic. And abolish the personal capital gains. Uh, rather picky things that a lot of people may not think about too often, but basically it's putting more money into the pockets of, of people. Hence the name, People's Party. <laughs> and getting rid of the capital gains tax is a definite plus for property rights, personal property rights, yes. and owning your own property and having a direct claim to it, nobody else having a claim to it. Yeah. Aboriginal issues. Now, this is we've talked about this um, a couple of times on Just Trade, and we've always come down to the opinion, Bob, that what the reserves and what the Aboriginals need is property rights. The ability to not say that everything that they do with their particular plot of land has to be passed through the tribe. It, it should be theirs to own personally, much like anything else. It's the old tragedy of the, of the commons of course. idea that if you don't own it, you're not going to take care of it. You're not going to, mm-hmm. You don't have a vested interest in it. And, and Maxime wants to have property rights on reserves, and he wants to replace the um, Indian Act, which makes the um, Aboriginals more dependent and less self-reliant. No, that, that's an issue I have talked about for many, many years on many open-line talk shows. On Just Right, in fact, you'll recall we included a lot of Aboriginal people on the show who who spoke exactly in favor of what we were saying. And of course, as usual, when I suggested that private property rights should be enacted on, on the reservations, I was called a racist by, remember, Megan Walker. And uh, she she had to eventually withdraw that and make a very long apology on CJBK mm-hmm. for having said that. But again, it shows you the kind of reaction that the left gives to these very rational and common sense and moral and just and right policies. They're against everything that's proper and right. Pardon me, but had to say that. <laughs> also, they call you what they are themselves. Why should Aboriginals not have private property? 
Yeah. That's, that's racism right well, because, there. You say that they shouldn't have it. Because so it's not their culture, are. you see. It's not their original yeah, culture. Their that's their thinking. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The next one is uh, veterans standing behind the men and women who sacrificed for our country. Now, at the Gatineau conference that Bob and I attended, they called up all of the veterans in front of the, um, the stage there and had three veterans, two English, one French, put out their new policy. And there was a recording I took, Bob. We have yet to use it on the show, but I, we will use it. It was with a particular veteran of the Afghan war, and he was saying that, look, I was in the same unit at the same time with this other fella. I get X amount of dollars. He gets less than half of that. We both have the same injuries, same day, same event, and we're treated differently. And it had to do with administration and, and something picky like that. And that has to be revamped. And I think that when Justin Trudeau came out and says the veterans are asking for more than we can give, and at the same time he flies around with two planes during mm-hmm. this particular campaign and gives hundreds of billions of dollars to foreign countries to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, it's unbelievable that veterans haven't taken up their arms once again to overthrow somebody like that. Well, the liberal government has been anti-Canadian military, as long as I recall. Oh, for sure. And it's very clear that Maxime and the PPC regard the military as a legitimate government function and that it is absolutely essential, especially in light of a volunteer military, that you honor those kinds of commitments, especially veterans who've been injured in the war. They've got to know that they're going to be taken care of, not just dumped out and put in a welfare system somewhere on subsistence. That is not going to garner the greatest military in, in, in the world. Canada was once the fourth power in the world, you know. Well, fourth largest navy, I understand. Yeah. That, yeah. Now, after that particular Gatineau announcement, Bob and I attended the scrum afterward, and they had the, the presenting veterans there behind Maxime to answer questions about the new veterans policy in Plank. Not one question by the so-called mainstream media It was disgusting. asked a question about the policy. The questions ranged from, what are you going to do when you lose? <laughs> oh, that's nice. Thank you so much. To, you know, you're polling so low in the polls. And it was all about... We're just deigning to be polite to be here. And immigration and Islamism. Of course. Yeah. And I, I just had enough, and I, and I asked the question. Justin Trudeau basically says we don't have the money to give to veterans. How are you going to cost your program? And he just loved that. Finally, somebody asked a question about the veterans. Now, this video I have of the scrum is in the can right now, and I'll put it out a little later, perhaps, but um, before the election, uh, there's been so many videos yeah, to no do kidding. so much. You've been so busy. And so yeah. time. But anyway, so that's out there. Great veterans policy. Um, I think we can stand behind that. Now, that, that's something we've never really talked about on the show before, though. No, but was, what was interesting in Gatineau is that they gave... Um, like an hour or two to it. And by the way, you were one of the veterans called to the front too. I don't, I, I had to look up the definition of veteran because to me, it's always somebody who had been deployed, you know, whether it was in, even in peacetime, like say to Cyprus or whatever, I think that you're a veteran of that particular police action Mm -hmm. or conflict, but just being in the militia, I didn't consider myself to be a veteran, but. But we recorded and archived the entire announcement and event on Just Right Media's um, YouTube page. Mm. And after that long, lengthy time, I saw the media, all the other media, was right standing beside me, CBC, CPAC, all the rest of them, recorded the event. And like you say, when we went into the media scrum, not one of them asked a single question about the major event of the day. Disgraceful. I learned so much. I have, I have absolute 
if it hasn't come across yet, total contempt for mm. our mainstream media. Folks, you have no idea how misinforming that group of people is. I can't even I can't even think of one that I would regard as a legitimate member of the fourth estate. I really can't. I, I can think of two. The Rebel Media no, and True North, yeah, yeah. Andrew Lawton. They just got an injunction to attend the candidates' debate. No, mind <coughs> you, they weren't they, they were not at the Gatineau event and they weren't no. At, no. No. That's true. However, as part of the fourth estate, uh, I think those guys have done a great job. Yeah. Um, but they're not mainstream. Time, Can we do another one before we break? Uh, well, let's, t- let's go to a break first and okay. we'll continue the conversation. To me, leadership is about who you're fighting for, the choices you make, and whether you're doing what's right for people. And whether it comes to international affairs, standing up to Trump, making sure we fight to build a better trade agreements that actually put Canadians first. For me, the question really comes down to, do you have the courage to stand up to the powerful and wealthy interests, the corporations that are having too much influence over Canada? And I've seen so far in Ottawa, whether it's liberal or conservative governments, they haven't had the courage to stand up and fight for people. We're different. We're in it for you. I don't work for the rich and powerful. I work for people. This is the NDP candidate, uh, Jagmeet Singh. They're hard left, very hard left, definitely socialist. He, he operates an ideology. He doesn't explain much regarding uh, how he's going to do the things that he wants to do. He talks about standing up to Trump, which is, uh, quite honestly, he, he just shoved that in there because it was a virtue signal. He talks about taxing the 1%. He never actually talks about what happens when the 1% leave Canada. But I want to start by acknowledging that we're on the traditional territory of the Algonquin peoples and to them, Miigwech. Canada's role in the world is an enviable one. We have a historic reputation for being an honest broker, for being a country that stands up for multilateralism. We have a commitment as a nation to meet the sustainable development goals, which means our future as a world is built on ending poverty and encouraging the education of women and girls. That's a cornerstone. On top of that, we really need to renegotiate the World Trade Organization and make it an organization that promotes climate action. We need a World Trade and Climate Organization. We need to support the rule of law and human rights around the world because we are world leaders. There's the Greens, Elizabeth May. And her party basically competes with with space with the NDP because they have very similar policies. Also, she is the prime virtue signaler of the bunch. Every single time she talks about a location in Canada, she talks about the, the native people that used to inhabit that location before Europeans came over. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. We're going through the list of People's Party of Canada platform planks to see how they've aligned with our own ways of thinking over the years. And of course, there's a uh, 100% overlap. <laughs> so of course, we're endorsing the PPC. Uh, plank number five. Oh my God, there's 16 and we're only at number five. But anyway, number five, Canadian identity. Ending official multiculturalism. Yay. Oh my God, finally. <laughs> Somebody, thank you, Salim, for, for helping to write that particular plank. Uh, repeal the Multiculturalism Act. Well, that is a great step. I just love it when Maxime tells his story about when he was asked, what will you do for the Muslim community? And he says, nothing. I won't do anything for the Jewish community, the Christian community. He says, but I'll do everything for you as a Canadian. So no more multiculturalism, one culture, the Canadian culture. Yeah. We have one. I w- thought it was told by Trudeau. We don't have that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, Trudeau, let's, don't, don't even, okay. <laughs> yeah, by the way, well, we should draw our listeners' attention to a video that I produced of the rally Maxime and Celine did in London, Ontario, called The Price of Multiculturalism. So check that out on our yeah. YouTube channel. I spoke for about five minutes on that as well. So, 
Um, refugees, ending open borders policies and prioritizing persecuted groups. So declare the whole border an official port of entry for the purposes of refugee claims to send back to the U.S. anyone trying to enter Canada illegally and putting up a fence around those areas where they uh, habitually cross over, like Roxham Road mm. in Quebec. Uh, fantastic policy. They're, they're, they're finding these loopholes and coming across at these non-controlled border points because if you do so from a safe country like the United States, they have to process your claim. If you come across at a proper checkpoint and you say, I want to claim refugee status, they say, you're coming from the United States. Go back where you came from. But if they cross over at Roxham Road or like on the on the oceans and the high seas, whatever, then they, they say, okay, well, we have to accept you. We'll put you up. We'll give you thousands of dollars. We'll take care of you. We'll feed you, house you, clothe you, and then put your refugee claim in the system so that 10 years from now, after you've gotten five kids and whatever, and they're all anchor babies, then we'll say, turn around and go back to the States. But then it's too late. Yeah. So they know this, and so they come across at Roxham Road. BPC won't stand for it. Every border entry point, doesn't matter where it is, in the woods, okay. on the high seas will be a border point so that you can be turned you mean around. we actually are a nation <laughs> yeah. that has borders? That's exactly <laughs> right, and that's the way it should be. Every country should be its own sovereign nation. Stuff that you'd think is obvious has become so obfuscated lately that it's just amazing. Yeah, they do make it complicated, don't they? <laughs> There's number seven, immigration, uh, sort of on the same uh, vein here, reduce overall levels and prioritize skilled immigrants. This is a great one for... For Canada and our supposed non-existent culture. <laughs> so lower it from 350000 a year down to 150000 max. Uh, because the 350000 a year, that's over a million in three years. That's the population of Nova Scotia. You know, in, in six years, you're, you're talking about the population of Toronto, uh, basically. And given our population, we can't absorb Toronto. that. How are we supposed to absorb that, those kind of numbers? Canada only has a population of officially 37. somewhere around 38 million. Yeah. give or take. And if when you look at percentages like that coming in, there's no the Canadians will be outnumbered by That's three times immigrants. the amount of immigration that the United States has. Exactly. And this capita. has this has zero to do with where they're coming from. This is sheer numbers and sustainability. If you want to try to find a place to rent or to own in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal oh God, no. or now Calgary, forget it. Because you can't because of the huge demand placed on those cities. Um, and this is where immigrants settle in cities, obviously. They're not going to build a cabin up in northern Ontario. They're going to go to Toronto and Montreal right. and Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton. And the price of housing there has just skyrocketed to the point where nobody can really afford it, not even the refugees. Mm -hmm. And the real non sequitur here is that the left or has turned this into an issue of racism. Yeah. What? What, <laughs> yes. what race, particularly? What, yeah. yeah what you, all those Americans coming up, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. You know, uh, you look at uh, the diversity is a nasty word because it implies uh, a racism of its own. But if you look at the candidates running for the PPC, you will not find a more diverse, to want to use the left term, mm. uh, to describe the candidates here. I've talked to them like Bella Kosoyan, uh, you know, from Tbilisi. And... Um, Baljeet Bawa, um, I think, is from the Punjab. And, and Alan uh, Deng and Rocky Dong and yes, all, all, all Chinese. people from China. Yeah, and, and Salim himself is from India yeah. by way of uh, East Pakistan. And so 
this has nothing to do about race or country of origin no. or anything like but that. But you know it's what? It does have to do with the, the media never mentions it. Yeah. The media keeps saying, oh, you're a racist party, and they don't even <laughs> look at the party. If you just stood there and looked at the crowd of people that we saw in Gat, no. And I felt more at home with that, pardon the pun, you know, multicultural-looking crowd that all, that, who all were Canadians, and they all talked like Canadians. In fact, the less quote-unquote white they were, the more Canadian they sounded. It's, they, it's they were true. absolutely passionate about it. Especially when they come from countries that, um, like I was talking to um, Mario Roberto Lamb in the writing of Gatineau, um, he's the PPC candidate for that riding. And he came from, he didn't even want to disclose where he came from, but it was a Latin American country. Mm-hmm. And basically saying that, if you want to know about corruption, you just go back to the country that I was from. And he says Canada is becoming as corrupt as some other third world mm-hmm. nation. So they, they know what they're talking about. We had that same observation made by, by the candidates who immigrated from communist China. And they were really concerned with what was happening in Canada, oh, yeah. especially on freedom of speech issues. Number eight, pipelines. Well, they'll just basically build them. Okay. <laughs> Approved pipeline projects used using a streamlined process and reassert federal jurisdiction over pipelines. I think that's absolutely essential. It's a lifeblood. Oil is the lifeblood of this nation, of any nation, and they have to be, um, they have to be fast-tracked. Um, number nine, freedom of expression, protecting Canada, Canadians from censorship and discrimination, something that we've been on the brunt of. And um, they want to redefine the uh, term hate speech in the uh, criminal code. They want to um, prevent the reinstatement of Section 13. And we have talked about that on Just Right Before. Just look up uh, Martin County, uh, California. And um, withhold federal funding from any post-secondary institution shown to be violating the freedom of expression of its students or faculty. So most of them? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if not all. Though, kudos to Mohawk College in that Hamilton. That is true for having the event there, although there was about 25 uh, police officers there armed, uh, which cost a bundle. Mm-hmm. Dave Rubin said he was going to foot the bill for that himself, though I don't know how that worked out. Uh, but <laughs> tit for tat, the uh, union yes. thugs <laughs> who wanted to counter-protest um, had to make it another day because they upped their security fees as well. Well, at least they're equal <laughs> opportunity. They knew what they were getting into. That's good. Number 10, foreign policy. A People's Guard, a party of government, a People's Party government will uh, continue to work closely with their allies to maintain a peaceful international order, but will not ingo- get involved in foreign conflicts. I think that's a good policy. Withdraw from all UN commitments, including Yay. global compact on migration and the Paris Agreement on climate change. Well done. Yes. Liberalize trade with as many countries as possible. We're all about free trade here at Just Right. And don't forget, these, these policies really distinguish the PPC from all of the other parties yep. who are totally on the opposite side of, yeah, of the scale. They're all cookie cutters. Just Every one of them. Varying degrees. Yeah. Number 11, global warming. Withdraw from the Paris Accord. Eliminate the carbon tax. Abolish subsidies for green technology. Let private payers develop profitable and efficient alternatives. My God, this is great stuff. (laughs) You know, uh, I I can think of nothing more maddening to me than listening to our party leaders and politicians talking about global warming. I think they're morons when they talk like that. And, you know, everybody talks, we've got to fact check. Well, how about checking the fact that CO2 is not a pollutant. How about checking the fact that CO2 is a consequence of heat, not a cause of heat? I mean, you can go through every single thing that we know, the things 
why why this whole campaign has started. The UN has admitted it's to transfer wealth from from the Western countries to the other countries, and they just remain oblivious. The, the moment Scheer said that he was going to continue to fight climate change, I had to dismiss him, because that's telling me that he's willing to abandon reality and reason just to get elected, and that is not good for the country. That's yep. just poison. Supply management is the next uh, platform plank, and of course, this is the one plank that I think put Maxime over the edge and made him resign from the Conservative Party. When he didn't really have to, he could. I mean, he had a no. plumb position, and this man took it upon himself to break away from a very cushy job and go out there and, you know, start a new party, not knowing what'll happen. And luckily, it's been very successful so so far. But he wants to get rid of supply management. That is a perfect capitalist conservative idea. This was implemented by Pierre Elliott Trudeau, supply management to placate the dairy cartel, mostly in Quebec, to get votes. And Andrew Scheer wants to continue it for the exact same reason, to get votes. Good on you, Max, for getting rid of it. I'm looking forward to the cheaper cheese. <laughs> yes, well, apparently you'll save like three, 400 bucks a month, every, the average person, or a year, rather. That's substantial. When you go to the, and oh, yeah. Every time you go to the grocery store, you notice the size of cheese is getting smaller and the price is going higher. Yeah, or go to the States and find out what you're really missing out yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> Internal trade, number 13, getting rid of uh, interprovincial trade barriers. Well, it's about time. He's going to reassert the authority and leadership of the federal government on internal trade. Boom. And he's going to use the Constitution to do it, Section uh, 91.2. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's something that has been a, a, a thorn in my side since I ever became aware of politics. It's so irrational. We're a nation, for God's sakes. We can't trade. You're taking the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Why are you treating us like separate countries? Okay, so health care is the next one, giving provinces the incentives to deal with wait times and rising costs. So um, they've got a, a novel idea here, and that is um, get the, the federal government out of the GST and give that room to the provinces. It's about a $40 billion uh, trade-off. Like, we can give you $40 billion in incentives and cash transfers to, to make sure that everybody has the same access to health care. Or... Um, we'll just give you the money from the GST, right? So it's a very complex issue, and I have to delve into it a bit more, and it's, it's more of a provincial issue than federal, but I'm sure that I trust Max to do it properly. Last two are um, firearms and equalization payments. Now, firearms is a particularly uh, thorny issue with a lot of Canadians because we're a very firearm-oriented uh, country, uh, still quite rural. You know, maybe about 20% of us or so are quite rural. And um, there's a couple of here that, that really show Max's reason. Require that all firearm categories be based on function, not on looks or arbitrary political whims. Well, way to go, Maxime. Perfect. So you don't go to jail for having a toy gun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, this AR-15 yeah, nonsense. Or, the, or, or this scary-looking yeah. gun. Yeah, assault rifles. You know, that a non-definable yeah. term. You know, anything's an assault rifle if you commit assault with it, I guess. But um, And also um, tighten up the licensing thing so that now I think it's every five years and they're going to make it a lifetime licensing thing. And then the last one, equalization, fairness for all provinces. The People's Party government will reduce the total amount of equalization payments to the provinces and make sure that only the provinces with the greatest need benefit from it. So, and create a new formula. So, I mean, all in all, a platform we can all get around and endorse. Agreed. Agreed. 
We are the People's Party, and we put Canada first. The other leaders on this stage are globalists. They spend your money to buy a seat <laughs> at UN Security Council, and also they are giving your money to other countries to fight climate change in Asia and build roads in Africa. The UN is a dysfunctional organization, and we <laughs> must be able to fight for our country. Actually, we are the only party that will have a foreign policy that is based on our security and prosperity for our country. So... I guess this is why this guy has kind of become a meme in Canada and elsewhere. You open the debate, your first words, by saying that everyone's a globalist and the UN is a corrupt organization. I mean, he's he's not wrong, but holy shit. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, this is Maxime Bernier. He was a member of the Conservatives for quite a long time. He left to start his own party because he viewed the Conservatives as too corrupt to be able to be fixed. He's, he's for small government, he's for devolution of powers, he's anti-globalist. And his remarks on social media are, are meme-worthy, they're bombastic, they go viral regularly. And, and frankly, it's definitely one of those emperor-has-no-clothes situations because, as you'll see in this debate, he doesn't say too much that's unreasonable, and yet he's branded as like a white supremacist. It's kind of unreal to watch. Mr. Bernier, uh, you like to tweet, so let me read some of your tweets back to you. Uh, you call diversity in Canada a cult and extreme multiculturalism. You've used the words ghetto and tribes to describe newcomers whom you say bring distrust and potential violence. On Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old climate change activist, you've called her, quote, clearly mentally unstable. Are these the words of someone with the character and integrity to lead all Canadians and represent us on the world stage? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. The question, you must tell the truth to Canadians if you want to be the leader of this country. And what I'm saying about extreme multiculturalism, it is not the way to build this country. Yes, this country is a diverse country and we must be proud of that. But we don't need the legislation like the Multiculturalism Act to tell us who we are. We are a diverse country and we are proud of that. What I'm saying, because it's in line with the immigration, I'm saying that we must have fewer immigrants in this country to be sure for these people to participate in our society. So it is a great country, but it's time to have a discussion about the immigration. We don't want our country to be like other countries in Europe where they have a huge difficulty to integrate their immigrants. And I'm a proud Canadian and that's why I love this country and I'm on the only leader on this stage who wants to have a discussion about the level of immigration. Completely reasonable. There's nothing in that statement that was inflammatory. Simply having a concern about, about integration does not make you a racist or a white supremacist. Wanting a cap on immigration so that you may preserve the unique culture of the host country is not unreasonable. And he's right when he says that nobody up there wants to actually have a discussion about this issue. The conservatives and the liberals are fine with open borders because that gives big business uh, an underclass from which to draw cheap labor. The Greens and the NDP are fine with open borders for, for ideological reasons. Maxime Bernier is the only person who's saying slow immigration. I mean, Trudeau wants 350,000 immigrants to Canada a year. That's wild. I mean, Mr. Bernie, after hearing what was just said, you could have just said, hey, man, I messed up. Because those are pretty horrible tweets that you made. And those aren't horrible. Dude, Jagmeet, those aren't horrible tweets. Those are completely reasonable. Jagmeet, you're, you're a Sikh. Your religion was founded as a reaction to Muslims attacking your people. And you're going to sit here and talk about how multiculturalism is good. 
really for me, I mean, it should come as no surprise to you. I believe a leader is not someone who tries to divide people or to pit people against each other. A true leader is someone who tries to find bridges, bringing people together. That's what a leader does. And a leader works for the people who need help, not helping those at the very top, which we've seen with governments in Ottawa for far too long. They've been working to make life easier for the multi-billionaires. They get massive corporate tax cuts. Billions of dollars go towards them. We see offshore tax havens continue. This is not the way to build a country. The way to build the future is to help the people that need help. It means you've got to stand up for the Completely unrelated, Jagmeet. This is not the conversation. The conversation is multiculturalism. You can't just swing it back around to, to your talking points of, of basically communism. I find the things that Maxime Bernier has said to be completely appalling, and, and he knows that I feel that way about the things he says in the House. We used to sit together, and generally when <laughs> he said a, anything, I have to put my head in my hands it because it was so horrific. I, I appreciate you, but you know, I don't share your policies. I, do I don't that. share your socialist policies because you know we won't be able to create any wealth with your policies. You have the same kind of policies in socialist countries like Venezuela. That won't... <laughs> And see, it's, he's, he's right. So the English leaders debate was just recently, and I tried to watch it. Try being the operative word, because it was the most boring thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was horrible. The debate of talking points and just repeating party platforms, what they don't really have, so they're just using their talking points, which is climate change and immigration, and no one ever answered a question I noticed, except for Maxime Bernier. Um, so I got about five, maybe ten minutes into it, and I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, until I did come across a video by Short Fat Otaku, um, who I highly recommend, where he did a very brief, quick, to the point of every single question that was asked. It was sped up a little bit, so there's no lags, and he commented on it, and it was very great, and I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I watched it myself. It was... It was fun. It made it fun. Yeah, and it wasn't boring. <laughs> no, which I couldn't get through. And and because it was broken up with his commentary, it, it was more engaging because the, the leaders weren't engaging at all. They were just, uh, Trudeau is so painful to watch. I feel such a shame as a Canadian that he elected him as prime minister. I just, he he's an embarrassment. I find him, embarrassment. I find him uh, as a, a shame to be a Canadian. I don't care if he's prime minister, but just like, like this country produced such a knob. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, and it was funny because um, my husband actually, for some reason, watched it and he hates politics, but he thinks it's a civic duty. So he watched it and he was telling me about it before I finally sat down and did the abbreviated version of it. And he seemed to come away thinking that Elizabeth May made sense. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But apparently because she was the one that had her talking points best rehearsed, she seemed like the same one. But her talking points are insane to me, so I don't understand the disconnect. I, I think she's a sociopath, to be honest with you, when she talks about the things that she would do for Green. I mean, she would kill all life on this planet for her philosophy. Well, she, is, um, she is indicative of uh, the death cult of the left because... I still can't get out of my mind when she, in a drunken stupor, <laughs> grabbed the microphone at one event and said uh, that Omar Khadr, the convicted murderer and terrorist, has more class than the entire effing cabinet of Stephen Harper. And I'm going, this person is dangerous. Oh, yeah. She, oh, yeah. She, she's filled with hate. Yeah. And it, it comes across in waves. And the fact that they would, all of them are rushing to get as close to socialism as possible using the climate change as their excuse. They want to destroy the economy. They want to control everybody's lives. They want to do and, and destroy the joy of life, basically, mm -hmm. because that's what these kind of draconian measures would bring. So let's go down the list of the leaders there and, and, and focus on, uh, on this debate and see what, what are your general impressions of them. Bob, what did you think of uh, Jagmeet Singh? Jagmeet Singh, he 
he can sound very friendly and you know gregarious at many times but the but the guy plays a race card all the time and uh, i have to think he's a racist i mean all the other parties are they 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 accuse the ppc of being racist because it doesn't have any race racial policies whereas the rest of them pander to race from from aboriginal specialty on down and this is the same guy, as we heard on our own show, member Laura Lynn Thompson said, she's, she ran against Jagmeet Singh yes. in a by-election. He's calling her a racist in the midst of that issue that she brought up. And all the multicultural people were all on her side, not on his side in that debate. So, you know, that he plays that card all the time, that's scary to me. It doesn't matter how friendly a face that you have. But a lot of people are impressed by the NDP. And of course, he's a socialist, which makes him evil. Yeah. How about <laughs> so. you, Danielle? Jagmeet? Um, the only, he sounds like an NDPer. That's about socialist, uh, racist. Um, he sounds, he's well spoken, I guess, but he doesn't really say anything. So uh, you can, he makes nice words. <laughs> 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 he makes nice sounds when his mouth's move, and it's, that's about it. It's interesting, your your comments, because. In a leader's debate, what are people looking for? And I've been watching a lot of the debate about the debate and the commentary and that it's it's about impression. It's about how did they look? How did they sound? How did their hands move? Did they make eye contact? Well, it's their sales pitch, it's, right? There's, they're, they're, they're being salesmen, and it was very little on the content. Most of the analysis was not on content. It was on impression and feeling. Well, it's interesting because Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever made a great observation about understanding the purpose of the leaders' debate, and he wrote, The purpose of the event is not, as some would have you believe, to inform you about the party's elections platforms. The purpose is to tell you which parties are legitimate and which are not. And the fact that Maxime Bernier was there makes him a legitimate party. That's why this was so important to the PPC, because whatever all the other faults of the leaders' debates are, and you can never get much. I mean, they had 30-second questions and 40-second answers. Come on, what can you say in that period? The only thing is, who's there on the stage? Because that's almost like an election sign. And they it tells people who, so who's in the game. Too. That's right, yeah. Now, Justin Trudeau, my impression of that man was um, he has somebody's hand up his butt moving his mouth. <laughs> Um, And that came home, especially in the media scrum afterwards, when Andrew Lawton, who's been a guest on this show and a friend of ours, and only attended because he had to go to court to make sure that he was allowed to attend with the rebel, um, asked him, point blank, you've excluded me from following you and your campaign as as a proper journalist. Are you now, with this court injunction, going to let me... um, follow your campaign and and do you not believe in freedom of the press and the the answer was almost like somebody wound him up in the back and he spewed out this uh, answer like a cupid doll and then andrew re-asked the question and he basically said this exact same thing which was not an answer to the question he never answers a question he never, answers never a answered question. a question Ever. he never answers any question it's it's embarrassing to watch him stumble over the well we have to do better so if he if you call him on something oh we have to do better that's not an answer to the question. It's well, a, we have to do better. Well, other bad. people can see it from a different perspective. That's not an answer to the question. Yeah. <laughs> Did you it's grow pretty bad when, you? when your prime minister, the top office in the land, is being managed by, by people behind, so much so that it is so blatantly obvious. Yeah, Gerald Butts is the guy who's running this yeah. country, and Katie Telford and, all, and that clique 
not Justin Trudeau. He's made such an ass of himself publicly with the blackface, with the dressing up in Bollywood costumes that people have basically said, his handlers, I think, have basically said enough of you, you know, sit back, shut up, and do as we yeah, tell we you. Can't, we can't trust you on your own. You know? Now, Andrew Scheer, I, I thought Andrew Scheer came off rather well. And he was very prime ministerial. His body language was very, um, he came across as somebody who was confident. It's just a shame that his policies and what he had to say was identical to what Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh and all of them said then. I thought he was kind of soft looking, like if you poached, if you tickled him in the stomach, he'd go, hee, like the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> I think that's just his physical appearance. No, but, but, but also because his mannerisms came across as soft. He didn't seem confident to me at all. He yeah. seemed kind of like, I'm just trying to make a good impression here, so please like me. And I'll poke Justin Trudeau every now and again just to get your attention, and that's about it. Yeah. No, um, I understand. And the thing is that he's also very much handled as well. And you can see that it's a very practiced uh, look. But it came across a lot better than uh, the actual prime minister, (laughs) Justin Trudeau. You know, his best line was when he got on Trudeau about Trudeau's obsession with <laughs> provincial with matters, provincial yeah. matters <laughs> and Doug Ford, which I cannot understand why he keeps bringing that up. That is desperation, man. Yeah. That's desperation. Well, you can't bring up Stephen Harper because he's been gone for four years. Yeah. So you've got to bring up some other conservative that people apparently dislike. But the thing is that Doug Ford won by a landslide. Yeah. Uh, why does he even think that they dislike him? Again, this is a self-fulfilling internal thinking of the left, you know, and that's why I regard them all on the left. Well, what did you think about when Justin Trudeau uh, poked uh, Maxime Bernier with the Maxime Bernier thinks what Andrew, or says what Andrew Scheer's thinking? Yeah, that's actually, a, I think, a dig at Andrew Scheer. Yes, but what did you think of it? Well, not much, because I don't think of Justin Trudeau very much. But, <laughs> well, it missed uh, the mark entirely, because... It, it may have missed the mark, but you know what? That really showed that Maxime is the one driving the the agenda and the points there because he's saying he's saying that Maxime is being upfront. Yep, and honest. And honest, yeah. And has actual platforms where Andrew Shear is being dishonest and doesn't really seem to be saying much. Now Eve, that's the positive side of that. The negative side of that is that uh, Bernier and Shear have nothing in common when it comes to their <laughs> platforms. No. And it's just speculation on his part that Scheer would actually think yeah. what Maxime yeah. was saying, because no, he doesn't. Uh, this guy, Yves-Francois Blanchette, who is the, the Bloc Who? Québécois. <laughs> exactly. Why the hell do you have this provincial party? Yeah. Basically, it's a provincial party at it a is. federal leaders debate. That zero wants chance, to destroy the Federation. Zero chance of getting uh, in power. Zero chance of being prime minister, and yet they let this guy on. Now, mind you, he came across well <laughs> as a political leader, I thought, as, or as at least as a candidate. But no, they should never have allowed... Would you think that if there, if there was a separatist party in Ontario, Quebec, Alberta, BC, doesn't matter which province, that they would have shared the stage with this federal leaders debate with the other leaders? Absolutely not. This was Quebec pandering. That's what this is. Well, he showed total and utter disdain for Canada. Oh, yeah, because he, he referred to Quebec... And Canada separate entities throughout the debate. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we know where you stand. Thanks for coming out. And finally, Maxime Bernier, I, I was very pleased at the way he presented himself. People said that he was argumentative and, and getting into a shouting match with people and interrupting them. But I looked at May and Singh and Trudeau and Cher, and I'm going, oh, my God, these people are just babbling over each other. Mm-hmm. Nothing to the extent that Maxime Bernier was doing. And the moderators let it go on. That's the thing. And that's another point that I'd bring up about the debate, is that the format sucked. Yes. This was not a debate. It was an argument. <laughs> and that brings up a Monty Python skip. 
But unfortunately, we've already used it, so we can't use it in this show. But no, this was not a debate. A debate is you make a point, the person is given some time to make a counterpoint or to address that point. There's no talking over each other yeah. in a debate. That was a scrum. That was a... Monkeys uh, flinging an feces argument. at each other. Monkeys, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, no, it was a terrible, terrible format. Yeah, the moderators did not do well. No, and that's another point. The moderators opinionated mm-hmm. with their questions. It was so blatant that they're all lefties and hated uh, Maxime. They hated the PPC. They hated the conservatives. They were all extreme ultra leftists. Well, they were paid to be. And uh, yeah, and that's exactly right. They're paid to be with the $600 million yep. that Justin Trudeau gave them. They had to toe the party line yep. and, and, and make Justin try to look, yeah. make him look good. I have to say from our experience with the PPC and everything we've been doing over the past several months that what Canadian voters need to know is that Maxime Bernier has already demonstrated leadership qualities and strengths that I think are utterly lacking in every other leader of all the other political parties. He's direct and to the point whenever faced with controversy and controversial issues, mm-hmm. we've, seen him, we've seen him in action right up front. We've been right there with him. And he leaves no doubts about his position or where he stands on the issues. And he's an, he's an absolute avowed friend of freedom of speech. I mean, the guy believes in freedom of speech, that everything starts there. And uh, I, I just have never thought I'd ever have a chance to vote for a leader or a party like that ever in my political life, to be well, honest when, with you. When I met with him when he was uh, opening uh, Salim's campaign office, what I went up to him and said was, I want to thank you for re- restoring my faith in federal politics, because mm-hmm. I've never had a party I could actually vote for that I believed in before. And I just really appreciate it. And thank you. Any other closing comments? We're kind of running out of, out of the clock right now. Is this where we go into a chant, PPC? PPC. <laughs> yeah. No, let's not be so crass. Yes, yes, let's keep this intellectual and say that we endorse the planks, we endorse the party, we endorse the leader. I am just so glad, like, the, like you two, that Maxime has come onto the scene, that he took the chance. And even if, because the polls show that it's, it's pretty um, unlikely that Many will get elected, uh, though the polls now show Maxime very strong in his own writing and he might get elected. Um, I hope that this is the beginning of a long-term networking of like-minded people throughout the nation because there's over 45,000 members now in the People's Party of Canada and there's a, a huge network building of all these people who have basically come out of the woodwork and who have never been involved in politics before because they had this great dislike for the leftist, socialist, pandering pap that they've been fed um, for the last, well, for their entire lifetimes. And all of a sudden, Max comes along like a, a breath of fresh air. And I like to see this continue, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, I found it was very refreshing to see how many people in Canada actually think the way that we do. Hmm. I, ne- I never thought, I always thought we were like an island in a sea of communist socialist stuff, but there are actually people who believe in free markets, individualism, and, yeah, look and at the it's crowd. just amazing to see. I'm just so surprised. And the, the passion they believe this with is just astounding. And it just makes me feel so much more hopeful for the future of this country. Remember, mm-hmm. that's what the mainstream media has wanted you to believe, that you're alone and that nobody else thinks like you. Exactly. Well, remember, this show is called Just Right, not Just Popular. <laughs> so you can choose to vote for the popular choice based on a mindless political horse race devoid of any meaningful prize at the end of the race, or you can invest your vote in a political future and do what is right. 
Vote PPC, and be sure to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. PPC, PPC, PPC. Color it to black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Open government, that's what my party believes in. That was the main plank of our manifesto, taking the nation into our confidence. Now, how does that strike you? Uh, do sit down. Oh, may I? I'd like to have a look at these proposals, Minister. They outline the ways in which this policy could be implemented and contain draft proposals for a white paper for your approval. We thought the white paper might be called open government. Uh, what? You mean it, it, it's all... It's all been... been taken care of, Minister. Oh. Oh. Who did all this? The creaking old bureaucratic machine. No, quite seriously. <laughs>